friends and welcome to another episode of just another kill team podcast connecting kill team communities across the globe this time we're going back to australia welcoming alexa the world champ hey guys how we doing great yeah we're excited to uh talk a little bit about the world championship of warhammer which we both just attended yeah, it was a great time i, I had a lot of fun <laughs> yeah i mean you took it down i think you had the best record, I think, of the whole weekend. You only lost one game against Hava, and then yeah. the worst, the second worst result you had was a tie. Yes, that's it. That's it. So. Yeah. You know, we thought that we had dealt with the Chaos Cult Menace by nerfing them, but clearly they probably could use a little bit more of a nerf, considering that, <laughs> you know, with World Championships, they, re- they ran rampant over open and in the dark. To be fair, I don't think any of us were expecting two open into three in the dark, and I'm sure when that came out it was like oh yeah cults are cults are a great choice yeah when i had that i finished day one and i was like what are we playing tomorrow and so it was like three itd games i'm like yo i'm in i'm through groups i don't have to worry about this anymore <laughs> like yeah <laughs> i think the fact that no like you guys didn't really lose on open was enough to basically guarantee that on the second day you guys were like all right we're good because hava had a pretty clean run i think nick he just barely missed the cut i think he was three and two on the second day and then i think there was one other cult player that didn't do quite as well uh is that right no i think there were just three. I, I remember. just three of you guys but two of you made it in hava with a 5-0 record you with a 4-0-1 record and you know you both of you together i think you had a 76 percent win rate hava had like a another crazy win rate and i think between the three of the cults players the overall win rate for the weekend was around like 68 percent or something which is yeah, it's pretty crazy good. crazy high I mean, it's always going to happen when someone wins with a team. They'll drag the team's win right up for the event. Yeah, and effectively, it was like two players could have won. Actually, no, it's even even crazier. It was a 70, almost a 77% win rate for the weekend. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, Colts, Colts are very strong, and that's how I brought them. <laughs> Colts, Colts in the end game, if they haven't lost, you know, probably like half the team, you're, you're probably in a good spot, right? It's it. They are playing survival mode. You got to survive till turn two, like end of turn two. And if you're still alive then, and you can make like a third torment, you're just like, oh, it's my game now. I'm I think charge. when we were when we uh, met up a little bit on Sunday morning, we were talking a little about um, board generation. So I feel like that would be a nice thing to talk about because I think we have probably slightly different theories on what makes for a good open board compared to what we saw at the World Championship of Warhammer. And as far as competitive teams, we'll clearly be talking a little bit about cults because of the success you had and probably Corsairs, because it sounds like you have played a lot of Corsairs. Yeah, because they're like the first team I really played a lot of and they're like my favorite team to just go back to and play like whenever I'm like having a casual pickup. I'm like, oh, I'll play Corsairs again and I'll have fun. <laughs> no matter what I do, I'll have fun. Yeah. Being able to flow like water. Uh, they're also another team that's particularly good on In the Dark, right? Well, it's not so much that they're good on into the dark is that they suffer and open it's a bit different <laughs> okay all right all right it's more like into the dark patches up your problems i think the boards at the the event like they were okay if if stuff like commanders and cults like disappeared but even then like they are a bit too dense in the middle and then not dense enough in the deployments is basically what i'd say for them i don't know i think you, you and i feel fairly similar in that regard 
Yeah, I feel like I like asymmetric approaches where right now all of the approaches are get to the midboard and go to the next thing. Whereas yeah. if you <laughs> offset some of the pieces, you have like a less safe side, a more dangerous side, a safe middle. And the middle is really strong. So you have like incentives to get to the middle or places to like set up to counter people coming up in the middle. But right now, I mean, also commandos right now get to abuse the three midboard idea. And cults, obviously, as long as you don't get hit on turn one, you're good. So who knows? Yeah, that the the boards we played on, um, they basically encourage you to just both walk up like every threat you have, and then just start throwing them at each other. Like, there's it's not it's very obvious where you want to put your like high impact models. You put them behind the door, and you put someone who's going to clear the door if it's blocked, and then you clear the door, and then you run through the door, and you just blow people up. That's very much like the approach. That's at the very least like always going to be decent like, it's never going to be a bad approach it's hard yeah. to counter in any way really mm-hmm. i think you know geller pox is also one of those surprises where you know no one is really playing geller pox from what i can tell but on those mm-hmm. maps geller pox are great because you really can't door block them because they have barge through which lets them ignore operatives so you just run through the door directly yep. into your opponent's like pre-set up midboard and then it's just like oh okay everyone is trapped it by the tentacle monsters and then their their grubs can block the doors, and so your guys don't get to play, and they're not even using an operative for it, really. Yeah, they're using, like, half operatives, like, the flies are just getting in the way, and then the big boys just run through. The moment you get trapped by the tentacle monster, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, because if you attack it, it probably is going to hurt you, and you're probably only going to kind of hurt it, and if you try to run away, it's a 50-50 to just stand there and take it. And you just waste your turn. Yep, that's it. Yeah, I think that was what happened last year. I think Ace got caught by... Um, the tentacle monster running out, catching three Skatari or two Skatari and uh, Sakarian. Oh, no. Sakarian so just sad. like the Sik- like all three of them got trapped after the tentacle like shot through the bottom of an Octarius vantage and pulled the Sakarian <laughs> through the grates. And then yeah. Ace fought with combat support and minus injury with his Sakarian, did nothing, got killed, and then was like, oh, I just lost basically four operatives, and you know all he yeah. did was one charge. Yeah, Galpox can just, like, absolutely blow the game open. Like, either that or, like, Volgar behind a door if you didn't block him. Like, he just walks through and just, like, incinerates your whole team. And you're like, oh, that's fun. Yeah. And you said that actually one of your worst matchups was probably Orion on Gellerpox, right? It was definitely the game I spent the most time thinking during. Like, it was the game I had the most trouble figuring out what to do. And um, they kind of work like a reverse cult, right? Like, they have all of your torments at the beginning of the game compared yeah. to you at the end of the game. So exactly, if they can get yeah. their torments into your torment slightly earlier, it kind of like reverses the the cadence of the game for you. Well, they need to not go into the torments. The thing is, they don't really kill torments, but I really, really don't kill them. Like if a Galapox charges and fights a torment, the torment shouldn't die, but he should end up on like five to seven wounds, depending on like if you have damage reduction and feel the pains and stuff. And then if you fight him again, then you'll die. So you can't fight him after you've been charged, but also now he's stuck in combat with you and that's kind of okay for you. Really, they just want to run past and beat all the cultists to death and Blessed Blades and Mind Witch and Leader and all those things. And, and they'll they'll definitely do it on everyone else. And if you're just stuck with four tor- like three torments, that's not quite enough to win a game, right? Yeah, that's it. And then I have to run past him to go beat up his glitchlings. And his, it's a very weird game. Um, also, I think part of the problem was that I've... Gallopox is like the only team that I, I haven't played. Not really the only team, but one of the few teams I haven't played. And so like... I just don't have the inside knowledge of what they can do. Like, if I play command, I've, I've played commandos. So when I play against commandos, I'm like, well, I know I, what I would do is commandos here. So let's set up to counter that. But when I'm playing against Gallopox, I'm like, what would Gallopox do? I don't yeah. know. 
definitely a little bit of a black box. I mean, I know I was trying to help Adrian in New York practice against Galapox, and when I was trying to do this, like I literally have no idea what the what the game plan is or how I would approach this matchup right now. And it turns out that a lot of it is just spending time like passing until you have your last couple activations be just the Hulks after everything else is wasted all the time. And that's kind of your goal for the like the first few turns. I just never really like. Yeah, I don't play melee-centric teams. I play, like, shooting-centric teams. Yeah, so I'm trying yeah. to line up, like, what is the most aggressive action I can do as early as possible to snipe an action while also maintaining the end? And it was just, like, a very different perspective for me at the time. Yeah, melee teams play very differently. Um, I mean, obviously, especially on turn one, but even on, like, turn two, turn three. Yeah. Because, like, if you have, like, an operator that's safe, to go shoot, you have to get and not safe. Whereas with a shooting team, you could, like, shoot someone and then dash back into, like, complete outer line of sight and just be completely, like... No return. Well, yeah, you've got like a medic, so it's like sometimes you actually have the person there on engaged to shoot, and when they get yeah, shot, yeah. they run back, and then now you've pulled another oppo- opposing piece out, and then you can go grab them. Which is yeah, exactly. Whereas the melee teams, you don't have that. You have to you have to commit yourself, and you have to be like, well, he'll kill someone, and then he'll die, and that has to be good. that has to be good enough for me. Otherwise, it's not a good play. Yeah. As far as like the World Championship of Warhammer, like what was how what were you thinking going in, and how was the actual event as far as you know, your experience there and your teammates, because, you know, you weren't the only Australian there. Yeah, yeah, Um, In terms of, like, competition, do you mean, or in terms of just overall, or...? Uh, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, because I think a big part of our thing on Just Another Kill Team podcast is talking about how we build communities, and this was yeah, definitely, yeah. like, the most global event we've had compared to even last year. Like, last year there was eight of us, this year we've had 38, and there was, you know, other teammates, and obviously all the teams were way bigger. So, you know, what was it like for you as a player? Oh, it was great. Like meeting like all the different like uh, from overseas, especially like the the bigger teams, like the Spanish guys, the Polish guys. All those guys were fantastic to me. Like that was a really fun part of the experience. Like just talking to everyone and seeing how people see the game differently in different places and things like that. Um, so like the community aspect of it was fantastic. Like I really really enjoyed meeting people from all over the world. Um, I think Liam felt felt the same way as well. Like he really enjoyed chatting with a lot of the guys. Um, we went out for drinks with different people, different days, stuff like that. Um, I really enjoyed how most people's models were painted as well. Like there were a lot of really nice teams. I really enjoyed mine being my worst painted by far, and <laughs> looking like total crap. You just you're like, just here as like the sweatiest possible chaos cult player with your kind of like. I'm, I'm here models. in the final game in a cult's mirror, and my cults look like total crap, and Java's look fantastic, and I'm like. Ah, yeah. that is what it is. <laughs> you, I think you were telling me that those are not your chaos cults. They were like no, someone else's chaos cults. No, no, I brought someone else's in case mine, like my weird, like two tone thing, wasn't battle ready. Just in case, right? Oh, I was like, I'll bring a second backup that's just like painted normal, uh, just in case. Which was it was fine. There wasn't an issue with it. But I was like, oh, I'd rather not get disqualified for saying stupid, right? Like, yeah, I think I think like Hoffa's models, they're like black and black and red cultists with like OSL everywhere. All the metals like evil and burnish, and all of his models look great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then mine are like, oh, you sprayed that with two rattle cans. Good job. No, no, I airbrushed it just badly. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that was like the wrong. level of competition compared to like the home region. I know last time we were in Australia, you know, Bands, he's not quite as competitive a player. So we didn't really talk about competition too much. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about how your home region feels compared to maybe the global region. Well, obviously, we're playing here generally with the top players from every region, right? Rather than like the average. So I'd say that. In general, the people I faced were about in line with, like, the top four to five players in Australia. Like, they would all be having fairly close games with each other. Um, 
if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I I watched like I had before before I had this I had very little conception of what play overseas was like. I'd watched like a couple of the streams Glass Up Dead during the during the London GT like mm. two weeks ago or whatever a month month ago. I think probably um, like a month and a half ago now. Month, month, yeah, something like that. It was a while. Time back. flies, right? Yeah. yeah, I've lost all concept of time after this trip. But um, I think after watching that, I felt that it was pretty similar. Like we're all fairly close internationally. Like, and obviously, it's hard to say completely because I only got like a snapshot of like three players from each region. But these are the top players there, and they're about comparable to the top players here. Is what I would say. Um. Did you notice any like player skill differences? Because I know someone on Patreon was curious. Uh, like, were there regional differences? Because you mentioned you played against a couple regions. I know I played against a handful of regions, and I did notice that you know players from different regions sometimes have different um, kind of like code switching that they do. Um, I was wondering if you noticed anything like that. Huh. I don't know that I noticed too much difference regionally. I- I'm just trying to think. Maybe like slight differences in like approach, but. I was just more focused on executing my game plan more than anything because I knew if I succeeded in my plan, it would be fine, right? Like, I just you had just a very gotta, clear just idea. just got to get to turn three with uh, as many targets yeah. as possible. And yeah, as many I've got my plan, and you can try and stop it, and if you don't, I'll win. And and that was it. So I was like, you're doing something. Is it stopping me from doing my plan? No? Then it doesn't matter. <laughs> Did you feel like the four-hour rounds was a positive or a negative as far as, like, the overall level of play? I think it only for me it literally genuinely only mattered against Orion. And I think we were I was at the very least maybe like a little bit tired, jet lagged, I don't know. Um I think after that, definitely all my games finished in less than three hours, I think. Mm-hmm. And then most of my later rounds were like, yeah, like two and a half to three hours. With Java, our games are really quick. I think we finished our game in our finals matches we finished our first game in two hours then the next one in like an hour and a half yeah for the listeners who don't know you know they these two hava and alexa they were trapped in the final round which chaos versus chaos the ultimate slap fight and i think you guys finished the first one in like an hour and a half basically i think first one was a bit longer was a bit longer but Mm -hmm. yeah the games got faster as we went that's for sure but because you guys um, played three times right once for you we ended up with four games because our first game that got repaired and then we played three full proper games yeah yeah the first one was where you dropped him into loser's bracket then he came back yeah. up pushed you into loser's bracket and then you beat him and like yeah i think the middle game basically your first game on i think sunday i remember you guys yeah. set up and then we like went to go get lunch and we came back and you guys were done it was like an hour and a half or something <laughs> we were like, whoa yeah, yeah, yeah. how did that happen <laughs> we like asked like we like asked like the the film was like oh how much time do we, oh we have like an hour extra and we're like oh, okay Great. We'll go get lunch now and then come back and we'll just start an hour early for our last game. Yeah. But so you did your teammates talk about the four hour rounds and anyone talk about actually using all four hours? I don't uh, know that it happened too often. Um, it was fairly OK for the most part. I, th- I think there were, there were probably a few games that went on long, but I, I don't think it impacted too much. Like, I don't think it changed outcomes and things. Mm. Um, Do you think you would have preferred like shorter rounds being enforced? I don't think. I mean, I think on day one we could have had three games. I think we could have had an extra game. Honestly, that mm-hmm. was like I think one of the things I said was like if we just did three hour rounds on day one. But the the flip side of that is with people traveling internationally, day one is the day when people are going to be dealing with jet lag and stuff. And so like having those four hour rounds makes it a little bit more fair for people who have to travel a long way and all this other stuff, as opposed to like 
you know, if you're from the US and you just wake up and it's a normal day, right? Like, yeah, definitely a fair point. I know a lot of, especially you guys in Australia, you guys are coming with a huge time gap. Yeah, funnily enough, I was, I felt pretty okay with it and I feel terrible now that I'm back here. <laughs> <laughs> you were like halfway through a reset and now your body's being lurched into a whole new, whole new reset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I got, I got up at like 6 a.m. every day in America without any issue, went to bed at like 10, 11, and then I got back here and I fell asleep at 8 p.m. and woke up at 3, so... It's not. It's not great. <laughs> yeah, I think last year the Spanish players had a ton of issues because I think like by the second day, everyone's like jet lag had caught up with him, and you know, Ace is out there at his third round. And he's just like, oh yeah. no, I don't know how to think anymore. I think there was like a one melee decision that took like almost fifteen minutes because they were trying to piece out how he could kill a, kill a Hulk in melee, which turns out he could not. Oh, uh, it's not good. Not ideal. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like, you know, you have a couple practice partners in Australia. How big is like the top end of the competitive scene in Australia? Cause you mentioned that the players that you played at the world championships, they feel like pretty tightly bounded around what your top players feel like. How many, yeah. how deep is that actual pool in Australia? I'd say there's like at every tournament, including myself, probably like five people who could win like in like a 12 to the, the, the top players will be at every event basically so like if it's a 12 player tournament like four out of five of us will be there if it's a 40 player tournament five out of five of us will be there and i'd always bet money on one of those five people basically okay uh, at least currently right like that obviously always has room to change and i've not hopefully, I've been hopefully it'll expand on. going forward right hopefully you yeah, exactly. uh, chris will like start pushing down more skills and having more because <laughs> i think this was a big thing that we all thought that spain had an issue with the previous year because it was like just ace and carlos winning everything yeah, and now yeah. we have a new whole new crop of spanish players because you know for listeners who don't know spanish players you know they got four players into the world championship and three of them made into the top eight with only ace having the one game in the in pod four where he lost to i think he lost to commandos and he lost to you right correct yes yes yeah um, how did that feel I didn't feel good. Um, I I could tell he was. I, I don't. I don't know what, what was it was, but maybe he was a little bit tilted, or maybe he was a bit tired. He was definitely a little bit off. He said yeah. the same to me after our game. He forgot he could deny my my ploy. <laughs> like, which ploy? Which ploy? Like, tell, tell, us, tell us about uh, well, tell us the details. Okay, so so uh, uh, yeah, I'll give you the little. And, and it is not to color Ace as a bad player or anything. He's a great player. This is just one of those like brain fart moments. But um, he uh, he he shot. He wanted to kill my leader with a blast off of my torment, and so he quarried my leader, and then he went to throw the grenade, and he was like asking if I could dark favor the blast away, and I was like, yes, yes, I can. And he's like, oh, can I change my quarry target to your torment? And I'm like, sorry, just deny it. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you're right. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I am. Just I was like, you're gonna kill her. Just kill her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's actually really um, so I was like, <laughs> yeah, okay. So either jet lag or maybe a little bit of tilt from losing the first game, right? It happens to all of us, right? So, yeah. But it a was still bit, like a, a little bit of grace in these like really competitive matches. I think goes a really long way to like establishing that it's not all about just winning all the time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so exactly, exactly. It's one of those things where it's like, yes, I could dark favor, but you also have counterspell. You could feel free to counterspell yeah. and use the CP yeah, yeah, now, yeah. so I don't have to worry about it later. Well, yeah, and, and then I double fought later, and you couldn't stop it, but. His whole play was to kill her, and I think he he would have done that either way. I was going to double fight somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the last the last question that we were curious about is if you know one of our patrons was asking 
if you could nerf these two teams, I know I actually asked this up for the Goonhammer interview that's coming out soon. Yep, yep. But, you know, are there any nerfs that you think that Colts and Commandos really should be facing? Or how heavy do you okay. think those nerf hammers should be when Ga- Games Workshop actually makes changes? Okay, I think Commandos should just get single sneaky get, and that's pretty much it. I think it's probably okay after that. Um, maybe like. Maybe like enough to just a scratch, so it only works on crit- uh, on normal damage or something. Maybe that'd be the only other thing I you think about. You actually want to keep them at a full eleven activation team. Yeah, I don't really care. I don't think it's a problem, especially not if they have only one sneaky get. Sure. And yeah. it, the thing is, people aren't even really using those activations yet, so like I, I think it's okay. That's not like the biggest deal, I don't think. And it's, especially if maps change, like it'll change their power level, right? Like, um, so I think commanders are okay. And I think that there are teams that should be beating them and could be beating them and, and could be doing better, but people just need to adjust to it. And also, if every good player thinks Commanders are the best and all the top players take Commanders, well, they'll disproportionately win, right? Like, I just think that's that's the case. Like, everyone thought, oh, you can't play Colts because there's Commanders. Well, all the Colts players won, so... <laughs> Right. Yeah, like, I mean, I think that was a big thing that came up while I was writing one of these articles is my co like one of the editors at Goonhammer was like, I just don't see how it's possible. And I was like, you know, all you have to do is just not get blown up on turn one or pre-set up because I think Hava and Adrian, when they were setting up their game, Hava basically just lined up enough cultists on the edge of the box so that Adrian couldn't get like a breacher boy through the box because it was just like yeah. physically impossible and then you avoid it and then the bomb doesn't do anything and then you know it's not as much of an issue so there are the alpha strikes but there are there is plenty of counterplay on the team when you can buy pre-game dashes well as i was also saying to people i, I think alpha striking is, is the wrong approach in this matchup or just in most matchups like it's way more impactful if you wait till the end of the turn to, to throw your dynamite or stick bomb or whatever else like it's way better that way but yeah, I, then, I think that. Yeah, and then, this, this so, so commandos, maybe a small nerf here or there, leave them at the same number of activations and really sneaky get so that people can actually react to them rather than just getting aggressed on starting on turn one with no no counterplay. Yeah, yeah then, that, that, that's the main thing. And then I think over time, people people should be able to adapt to them, but more. I think people just forgot how to play against them too because no one played them for so long. Like, I don't yeah. think they need, I don't think the buff changed that much for them anyway in my opinion at least like people just realized that they were still really bonkers yeah I, they've had three sneaky gets since the beginning of this uh crit ops 2022 it's just that i think with the 11th mm-hmm. activation it made some of their easier match or some of their uh harder mid-range matchups much much easier because now you always get the last activation um yeah, you mean like levitiates and stuff the 10 men teams that basically couldn't guarantee that they had an opening now commandos can basically both have the beginning of the very first turn and the end of the very first turn available if they want to, which they yeah, probably yeah. only got one or the other before. So that helps. And then for cults, I'm sure that you've got a mind for what needs to get nerfed, probably because like on In the Dark, they really are just kind of a free win team right now almost. Um, Yeah, I'd say so. But that's the thing, like we need to this is like the problem is like if ITD exists, the nerf needs to be different, right? Like. If if there's no if we're nothing specifically for only open, like it can be fairly light, I think. If we're taking ITD into consideration, it's way harder and requires way more steps, probably. Yeah. They're not as free win as like you might think, like because mm-hmm. there is still counterplay to them. Like Adrian gave me a really hard game um, on capturable things on ITD. Like it's it's, it's not easy, as free as people. The one that everyone <laughs> says is ultra free, right? Like oh, just yeah. stand there on top of the points. Like how how is anyone supposed to interact with me? But he like. The, I think the five to the six actually does make a lot of difference in capture, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it's it's big. So there was that, but um, 
yeah, so on open, I'd say it's like fairly minor stuff. Like I was saying, just make the double fight cost extra CP every time you use it. I um, assume you use it every turn if you could. Um, turn two starting, yes. Turn one, it's not likely to come up, but yeah, and all the turns definitely on turn two and turn together. three. It, it basically means that on turn three, if you want to use it, you can't use like everything you want. Because normally turn two, you'll play two ploys and double fight. So you'll go down to two CP. Then you go back up to three. And then if you want to play like your auto hits and your injury aura, you can't also double fight. So you have to give something up or you can't do like an extra mutation. Like it just, it just means you have a little bit less flexibility in your ploys on turn three. And I um, assume that you like the full three torments as a reward for playing well. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't think that should go. I, I think like that's fine. Like, it, you you should not have three torments on turn two. If if you do, your opponent's messed up basically. And by turn three, you don't even want them sometimes. Like, because you want the mission actions. Well, yeah, and also like it also and also getting the third torment requires your leader to mutate someone during the turn or a cultist mm-hmm. to fight someone. Right, like, which are both things that you have to give up resources and activations and all this stuff for. Right, so like I think that's fine. I don't think three torments is is the issue um, on turn three. Yeah, and then on ITD, it's just way harder. <laughs> I don't know. You need to do a lot. Do you feel like A should be a team that gets like an in the dark specific nerf? Yeah, probably. Probably could do that. Um, I don't know what it would be. Yeah, I mean, right now they're just they're just such a polarizing matchup between the two terrain types. So they probably need something. Yeah, as long as as long as the GW expects both terrain types to be present in, at their all of their tournaments, like something's got to change, right? Yeah, I, I think an ITD only nerf would be okay. Like, I think that's something they could start doing. I don't think it'd be like a problem. I think as long as because only a few teams I think really need ITD specific stuff, and then the onus is on you as the player playing them to know that. Um, yeah, on ITD, I don't know what I'd exactly know, but th- there could be a few different ideas. Yeah, I think I've um, heard floated like, you know, less control or can't take cover at all or, you know, reduce the heal on in the dark or something. But I don't really know what they're going to do. I just hope they do something because obviously the in the dark stuff, I think for them is a little much. And then on open, I've never thought that they were actually a big of issue as big of an issue as they ended up being at the world championship. I was fully expecting that open would be the weakness, but didn't. I mean, wasn't at all. it is. It's just uh, it comes down to play to as well, right? Like. The the big advantage I had over most of my opponents, especially the commandos one, is that I've played a lot of commandos, and I don't think they've played a lot of cults. So I knew what they could do, and they couldn't. They didn't know what I could do. Essentially, they didn't. They couldn't see like how I was going to play the game. And also, from the sound of it, from talking to a lot of people, is a lot of cult, people play cults differently to what I've been doing. So, like from talking to um, people around, and there's things that just like aren't happening that I was doing. That people just didn't see so it All just right. comes down to that as well i guess that brings us into our next section jason yes the next section is the operative showdown operative showdown this time it's uh sort of a, a faction version the void scarred corsairs versus the chaos cults what are the coolest models between the two teams Alright, uh, for Chaos Cults, I think it's pretty easy. I think it's the Mind Witch. The Mind Witch is the coolest operative in Chaos Cults in terms of, like, showing player skill. Um, like, the way you use the Mind Witch can, like, be game-changing in a lot of matchups. Match-ups. You can use it in a lot of different ways. Um, it's also, like, 
like the, the the three different abilities are all very powerful in their own right, and you have to set up differently to use them. Um, getting two off in a turn is also very hard, but also like huge. Like if you can minus one APL and then do like the damage aura, you're like balling. Um, against the Ryan, especially like minus one APLing Hulks and then just dropping mortal wounds on dudes was like this basically what kept me in the game uh, for the Mind Witch. And for Corsairs, I'd say it's a bit trickier. I'd probably have to go with the Pistolier just because he's so explosive. He is just the... If you set him up right, he can win you the game instantly with, like, the right kind of combo with your leader. Um, and then maybe the Wizard is a close second just because his swapping places ability just opens up so many plays. Yeah, especially on In the Dark, that's definitely a big one from what I remember. Oh, the swapping places or the Pistolier? Swapping places so that you can get, like... Oh, someone into your opponent's back line really early. Obviously the Pistolier is great and there's not really any scent like analogies between uh, Chaos Cults and the Void's Carve as far as the Pistoliers go. But as far as like the two wizards, you know, you've got the Psyker on one side and the Mind Witch on the other and they both have very different roles. Did you yeah. ever feel like Chaos Cults or Void's Card Corsairs, uh, like your experience on one helped you on the other? I mean, I think that like playing just a lot of games with different kinds of teams always like helps because you see different things like setting up uh, visibility, like based plays with like the wizard and then the mind, Witch, like knowing where to place a model to get the best view and the best options is like a thing I'd say. But I generally would say that they they play so, so differently. Like when I play Corsairs, I play like super aggro, (laughs) like I take Flawless Raid, I'm going to sprint in your drop zone, I'm going to score like 5 VP on my secondaries on turn 3, and I'll have a slight primary lead, and then I'll max my, my Flawless Raid on turn 4, and I'll win the game by like 1 or 2 points when I'm tabled. <laughs> like, that's high play Corsairs, which is the exact opposite of, of Colts. Um, so you're really, with the Corsairs, you're really like riding on the speed of your team to get you the get you over the finish line as far as your score goes? That's it. I, I'm going to get a lead early, I'm going to score my free tackle up on turn 3 and turn 4, and then I'm hoping that's enough. And it usually is. Most of the time it is. <laughs> and then on, on Chaos Cults, you're really just surviving as long as possible because you know that the end game, no matter what happens, as long as you have 10 activations left, you're very much good to go. Yeah, like um, as Chaos Cults, my opponent gets a 4-2 on turn 2 and turn 1. And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to win the game. Like, <laughs> I'm not worried at all. Like, there is no stress at that point. I got 5-1 by Kikums, the Spanish Commanders player, on turn mm-hmm. 2. And I was like, I looked at the board and I went, Okay, this is fine. If that happens with Corsairs, I'm like, okay, I'll concede now. <laughs> yeah, because with Corsairs, once they're once you're five one, they're like all over your face, and there's just no there's no like lines to like weave through your opponents at that point or anything it, to be yeah. tricky, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, you never really felt like being able to hide Corsairs really helped you hide your devotees. You're really just playing a whole different game plan. Completely different. Like the way I'm like playing. If anything, I'd say probably like Vet Guard is probably closer in the way I played, like setting up like waves almost of stuff. Like as Chaos Cults, it's like Torments and like the Iconarch in the first rank, then like one line of devotees, a second line of devotees, and then like the leader of the Blessed Blades there. And like as that first line goes forward, the second line sets up so that if that first line dies, then they can do all the mission actions and stuff like that. That's that's kind of how Cults goes. How does the Corsair go by comparison then? The Corsairs is like... Waves. You're setting up like individual hero plays? Well, the thing is because everyone can go like nine inches and then blow someone up. Most people can't do that with their team. So 
you can just set up in range to shoot your opponent outside of their range, especially if you take um, plunderers into account. Like, you can set up, like, 12, 13 inches away from someone, plunderers forward, move dash shoot, right? Like, you just set up to make the plays from across the table because you got the movement. Colts, like, you can kind of do that with, like, winged and stuff, but it's not really anywhere near as prevalent. Yeah. Um, and we'll try to, we'll probably talk about that during the niche tactics sequen- sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or- actual chaos cult tricks because i was just curious because i know you talk about void scar corsairs quite a bit do you have other favorite models or what's your your favorite play on them on corsairs mm-hmm. my favorite play is the three apl shade runner at the end of turn one where you charge someone fight them and then you like shuriken pistol grenade someone else like you set up for the for the alpha strike you explain to your opponent the alpha strike and then you don't do it you then then you you then put your shader on somewhere in the middle of the board with three APL from your from your comms, and then you charge someone, you stab, stab, stab them to death, and then you throw a plasma in someone else. That's it. You're really just like juking them. Yeah, you you you're like they ask you, oh, how far can your shader on go? And you go, I it can go into your drop zone. And then they go, Wait, what if I deploy here? And you say, No, I still throw there. And then they deploy everything horribly. It's a disaster. And then you don't do it. <laughs> that's my yeah. favorite. That's like the mental play. It's like, I definitely, this is like, I've definitely enjoyed doing that. There's like a layer of setup play that people, I feel like just don't do very much because people are looking for these like symmetrical boards. Um, mm-hmm. I know because the turning point tactics are super, super common. People are like, I just want to be fully safe and just like not touch anyone on turn one. I'm like, yeah, but what if you can get touched? You gotta be careful. Yeah, you I can't do anything I'm, about it. Yeah. yeah, and then on in the dark, you know, as a Pathfinder player, I like set up for recover item on one side. My yeah. opponent on setup overloads that side, and then I just play recover item on the other side. <laughs> just, <laughs> I was like, all right, cool, you you got it. I'm just gonna I'll go over yeah, here yeah. To the other half of the board. You can you can have these three operatives. I'll make you sweat on all of these points. <laughs> I'll just recon sweep out and leave. Which I guess Corsairs can kind of do too, right? Because you can go like dash, pick up, pick up an objective with secure, and then leave or loot or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff you can do with your movement tricks. Another fun, anything involving the wizard swapping places table is fun generally. Mm-hmm. So uh, one of the other fun ones is you could like dash your wizard, swap places with someone who's in melee combat, take them out of melee, and then beat the person to death with your wizard. Oh, can you do that? Didn't yeah, because you you, you can pick people who are in engagement range. There's nothing stopping you. Nice. I think you can't cast it if you are in engagement range, but you can get someone else out. And then now you're in engagement range and you beat that guy to death. Or, or your guy's like free now. Like if someone charges your blaster with like a guardsman to stop you shooting mm-hmm. and you just goes, stop places. No, no matter what happens, my blaster can go shoot. Yeah, definitely one of those things where, you know, the bonk staff is not great, but it's probably better than your blaster getting trapped by a, a dork. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It's three five. You just need to roll one crit and you'll just smack them in the head. Oh man, the the desire hey. to just roll one crit on four dice. That's a rough one. Hey, if you you might have played Rapid Strike and then you could retain a crit out of How your often hits. have you actually used Rapid Strike? Um like once in my entire life. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> I was asked, like, how would you buff Void Card? And I was like, well, you know, just touch the things that no one ever uses, like Rapid Strike and Deadly Ambush, because they're an outcast. So ungodly difficult to actually set up. Every single ploy is like it's so bad. There's yeah. like two ploys. There's do a free mission action and there's do three dashes. Those are your two real ploys. And, and, and you, you save. You, yeah, you get sorry. a lot of leverage out of those two ploys. You do. You do. You have to. And then I, I joke that the other ploy Corsairs have is three CP relentless. <laughs> you know, I, you're not wrong. I know that team is like, it lives and dies by like, well, you know, I hit on threes. And at some point, you know, in a tournament run, you're going to roll four dice and get one hit. And you're like, Crap, I either lose this game or I spend my CP. 
No, that's where I, where I look my opponent in the eye and I start tossing my CP. I go, I'm going to CP reroll. And you go second hit, and then they're like a little concerned. And you go, I'm going to CP reroll. And you get another hit, and then they're like, oh my god. And you're like, I'm going to do it again. And then they die. And, and then a space frame blows up with a fusion pistol, and you're like, oh, I feel good. Yeah. But it's 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 always down to that. Like You're riding on like these four on threes. They need to do one thing reliably. And at some point, your tournament run will come down to one of those moves. That's it. that's what it's it felt it. like when I've watched Cor- Corsairs and when I played them a little bit. It's it's less bad into like elite to ten man teams or even like twelve man teams. The worst is against like guardsmen because <laughs> like when you fail to kill a guardsman, it's just so awful. Like, like if you if you fail to kill a space ring, and you hit him for like five damage or whatever with your blast, so it's like sad. Okay, whatever. He's only got six guys. I'll kill him next time. You should have guardsmen. You fail to kill him. You're like, oh wow, he still has thirteen guys. That's really bad. Yeah, you know. Speaking of Guardsmen, you know, as far as like the Australian meta goes, what else are people playing? Are they playing uh, wide teams, small teams? I know you were playing, obviously, Colts. Liam was playing uh, Legionary. I think Zinch, Slanesh, Legionary. Yeah. And then we met, I met Chris, but I didn't like she was playing Underworlds. So what yeah, does yeah. she normally play? Like what, what does uh, the meta look like in Australia? Chris plays wacky teams. So Chris plays like Inquisition and Warp Coven mainly. Um, but the, the meta is very much the top players all kind of have like the teams they like more so than following the meta so okay. like the top players have got like a vet guard player and he plays star Shards a lot as well and he also likes uh, Hyrotech but he doesn't like them in tournaments because rolling reanimate rolls sucks um, then we have like a hand of the Aquan Harlequin player another Harlequin player and then Liam is like Mostly Marines, but he also plays like 10-man teams like Hunter Clade or Novitiates quite a bit. And that's sort of... And then we've got Jay who plays like every new team. <laughs> and then he's very into position. He's currently trying to make Hearthkin work. So that's his... Okay. He likes yeah, to play the team that uh, is not good on the paper, but he's sure that they're good and he'll prove it. Yeah, you like, know, Hearthkin, we, they came to World Championships, did not do particularly well, 2-4-2. You know, at the end of the day, the team is pretty hard to play. Like the movement oh, yeah. definitely hurts on in the dark. You know, Colts not great. Um, just playing against wider teams means that you know you get shot eventually. No, Colts has to be is nightmare fuel for Hawking players. Like I feel like you'd wake up in a cold sweat if you like had to play Colts the next day. Like <laughs> commandos, in a sense, are also like that because at the end of the day, commandos against all of these kind of like ten man, eight wound matchups. You're the whole fear is you get touched by an orc in most average melee steps and you die. Yeah, that's that's the problem. Uh, what uh, about yeah. the like broader meta, like the players who aren't as competitive? Because it sounds like maybe at your top level you guys have fewer meta cha- meta chasers than maybe the the northeast of the US. Yeah. I, I'd say beyond that, it's again very much people just playing what they like. I wouldn't say like the the, the sort of like middle to lower end of the the player base is like meta chasing in any way it's just like there's a lot of marines because like marines are easy and beginner friendly like it's mostly just a lot of beginner friendly teams really and then teams that are cool like i think very much so people here are still in the i'm gonna play the cool thing i like phase more so than the i'm gonna play commandos because they're the best team in the game phase yeah that's definitely the the u.s northeast for sure i think like nova tampa was just like covered in orcs yeah, I thought about bringing them to our finals, and then I played a few games. And I was like, "This is so lame." I, like, I like, I like sneaky get it three times, and my opponent looked at the table and went, uh, "Good luck. I'm gonna go get a coffee. You think about how not to lose immediately." <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, 
are there how many stores are there because you said you're in sydney right but obviously australia is a really big place do you know of any other stores or what stores do you play at in sydney that you like going to um so we've got deckyard gaming which is maybe about 20 25 minute drive from where i live um so that's where i usually go um but there's quite a few stores like that host events it's like probably like six seven stores that host event across a week Okay. Um, just in the Sydney area, and usually there's like not not events like like gaming days and stuff like that. More specifically, I should say like get together and play some Chill Kill Team. We've got um, there's an RSL club near that hosts they do stuff on Mondays, and that's usually like eight to ten people. So like it's quite active. Um, outside of that, I know Melbourne has a little bit of stuff going on, but I'm not super tuned into what they've got. Um, they run quite a bit of events, like um, with like sort of usually like eight to 12 usual suspects kind of events, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so Australia has got a really large pool of players, even outside of like bands events, right? Cause it sounds like, I know when bands was talking, he's got like the big 40 player tournament, but it sounds like there's plenty of other stores that are doing like smaller eight to yeah, 10 yeah. events regularly. Yeah. Yeah. You've got like uh, Jay's running stuff at decked out and at, uh, what's that store called? Oh, I can't remember. Dice Arcade is other store it's called. And yeah, usually he's running once a month, I'd say, like a sort of 8 to 12 player event there. That's usually the more competitive people going to those, like a couple of less competitive players. Um, and then like the Barnes is the biggest events, like the everyone in the community kind of shows up events, if that makes sense. Yeah, those are like your kind of like marquee events for Australia, right? Because it's not yeah. often that you can pull like six clubs together. Cause I know New York open, we had the same problem where there's like four clubs or like four play groups and they don't want to like intermix regularly. Cause it's just like, ah, it's just too far or, yeah, you know, it. whatever. So it's just like, these are the, these are the small communities. And then every once in a while, someone's like, yo, let's do something cool. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much what I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, for your part, you actually work at a GW store. Do you teach Kill Team when people come in or try to, like, push Kill Team as one of those products when people walk in? I mean, like, when it's appropriate, right? Like, if someone's, like, getting into it and I'm like, well, if you don't, if you want to play 40k, but you don't want to collect a huge-ass army, here's Kill Team. It's a great way to, to get started and to play something smaller. You just need one box. Like, it's way more financially accessible, that kind of stuff. Like, Kill Team is a great pitch, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, for a newer it player. Is, it is a great pitch. Yeah, exactly. I think right? like, for for all the new people just walking in, you're like, just buy this one box. And it, you know, is a whole game compared to like the last edition where it was like, why don't you just buy this one blister that has this one gun and then buy like <laughs> 16 of the other models. And it was just like miserable to get new people to try it. Yeah. So, yeah, like I, I run a lot of Kill Team intros like they may be around like ITD. It was probably the peak of like new people getting into it, I would say. There was a lot of interest, like, in the community and stuff. I'd probably say, like, most of those people who are interested now are either playing or have decided they like 40k more. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. but there's a lot less people coming in, like, I want to learn Kill Team, but it does come up a couple times a week, at least, that someone's like, oh, Kill Team seems cool, can I do an intro? And then they do a little intro game, and I run through the rules and all the different options they have and stuff like that. Yeah. Do you Have you seen, like, a specific box set selling particularly well in Australia? I mean, like, the starter set, like, is just, like... <laughs> It's so like uh, such good value is like a proposition for getting into it, right? Like you get uh, two teams for like the commando box. Yeah, the commando vet guard box. Like that thing, like always sells out like instantly. Like, yeah, I gotta. Whenever I tell people to like who are interested in the game, like that's that's the box. It's like a hundred something bucks, hundred and twenty or something. You get Here like two teams. One twenty, yeah. Yeah, it's like two teams, all the things that you need, enough terrain where you can like learn the rules, and then you know the teams are actually still two of the best teams, right? 
Yeah, no, for sure. Like those are two top top five teams in my opinion. So like that's a pretty good win, right? Yeah. Sucks you have to buy another box of vet card, but it is what it is, right? It's not that hard to do. Yeah. It's a buy another box of vet card or ask your friends like to shake their box of guardsmen <laughs> and see what falls out and pick those. Yeah, out. I'll just like find some guardsmen you have from ten years ago and give them last guns. These are my four goons and I'm good. Yeah, one of the one of the guys who went to the World Championship of Warhammer from the Brooklyn scene. He's uh he only plays Vetguard and he has like six different kinds of Vetguards. He's got like the actual old Scions, which he played the first time he came to a tournament. He has like the new Kassikin. He's got he's got like Theo Legion, Cadians, Catachans. I was like, this is too many Vetguard, man. But he yeah, I did um I did a Cadian Vetguard for mine because I wanted to paint. I was like, I want to paint the Castellan. It's a cool looking model. And I was like. If I just buy like two boxes of guardsmen, I could make a kill team. I'll do that. Seems fun. But yeah, do you want to talk about some wacky ass plays? Yeah, so that, that brings us into the the next section, which is niche tactics. Niche tactics. And as we kind of forecasted a little bit, niche tactics today is going to be chaos cults. Alright, so here, here's your first one. Do you want to go 13 inches in one turning point? Because you can. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not straightforward, but I heard about it on In the Dark. Someone was like talking about how they were like, "Oh yeah, you know, I was prepping for Gar. I was trying again, you know, in the dark. I was feeling pretty good. I scored pretty well in the first turn, and then suddenly there was a torment in my deployment, and I was like, yeah. hmm, that sounds rough.'" And he was telling me about it, but I was like, "You know what? It's probably better to get it from the one of the people that could do it, Alexa." Yeah, so, so that was Liam that happened to. He was he had a real like moan to him, and I'm like, well, should have positioned better, buddy. I don't know what to tell you. You you know how this team works. You played against it. Basically, it just comes down to it's actually probably technically more than 13 as well. If you take into account when you become a torment for being a mutant, you get like half an inch of base increase in a direction. Mm. But um, basically, your leader can make someone dash, so you can make your torment dash out of activation. You can spend a CP to give yourself an extra inch of movement, and then you just charge, and you've got effectively a 13-inch threat range. You just fly across the whole board. And on in the dark, it's particularly yeah, good, because you can grow wings, which means that now you're ignoring the first barricade, and you're getting yeah. like, the extra inch of movement and all the other rules that you already had. And against elites, where this happened, you're probably doing it in the safety of your opponent's done. run out of activation. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, no, it's brutal against Leeds. You probably can't ever do that against, like, an equal-ish activation team, but against Leeds, it's, it's, like, a real problem for them. Yeah. Um, another fun... So some more fun niche stuff. We can talk more about Torments. So, mutating has a whole bunch of jank-ass interactions, basically. Mm-hmm. And there are varying levels of niche how applicable these are. The, the, that's what we're here the for. The easiest... We'll start with the easy ones. So, the easiest one is, at the end of your turn, move dash... To like 1.1 inch away from someone, become a torment, you're now in engagement range. Ooh. Right? Because your base increases and you're now in engagement range. And the goal is to be as close to the original model as possible, right? Well, no, no. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. When you place your model, you have to be as close to your original location as possible. And this can put you into engagement range. Yes. Because they made it very explicit that, you know, going from a 25 millimeter to a 40 millimeter, that's going to give you a lot of extra range. So you can actually, so you can get into a turn one charge that your opponent really wasn't expecting or a turn two charge, I guess, would be the big one, right? Because you can't get a Uh, turn one. It's not possible. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, you'll set it up so that at the start of two, you're in engagement range. Because it also means you're safe from shooting as well. Like there's a whole bunch of upsides to doing this, right? Also means you can be concealed and in engagement. Like you can be concealed. So even if they fall back, they probably can't shoot you now. 
Uh, so there's a lot of advantages to doing that. It doesn't come up super often because you generally want to set up in a different place. But when the opening shows up, it's like uh, just a good thing to have in your toolbox. I did it on ITD against orcs because he had an orc on guard watching another orc. I didn't want to get crumped. So I just walked up next to him, hid behind the barricade and went, all right, well, when I mutate, I'm going to be in combat. Like, and he's like, ah, yeah, okay, I know. <laughs> so that's your like first basic one. That's your, that's your basic. That's the start of the jank, okay? That's the start of the mutation jank, because mutation's yes. got a lot of crazy rules around it, right? But it can get more jank. So, let's say you can't place yourself where you started. That means you have to move to the closest point. Now, with 15 models, you can probably engineer situations where you can't place your model where you started. So, you could essentially do is engineer situations where your torment moves a whole 40 mil base across. So you just move across the table with these mutations where you're just teleporting your models, basically. You actually ended up doing this at the World Championships, and I assume yeah. Ben saw it and he had to rule in favor or against or whatever. How did he how was that? This handled? is just this is this is just how it works. There, there is no ruling in favor or against it. This is just how the rule works. Like this isn't a even a, a question, really. Um, you're, they you're know. Having like you're having like a, a space that's too small for the torment to eventually pop out of. So yep. it just it just goes wherever you want it to go. Well, those are the closest places. So you have to you have to do a bit of work to engineer the situation. But yes, you, you essentially can get like two to three inches of free movement fairly easily. Um, it's most relevant in ITD because on open, it's a bit harder to engineer. I did it against Ace. So that was one I did it on um, where I basically blinked across the barricade. Uh, and then I did it against Commanders as well, where I like had like spare activations. Like I'll just block my Torment so he goes over there. Um, These end up being kind of like semi-risky plays because you have to bunch up a lot of people for a blast to get yeah, but you, get, yeah, get yeah. the shove basically right yeah you just you have to do it when you can't get blasted basically like you, you have to sort of you'll, you're accepting that if if this goes wrong you'll blow up but you'll do it somewhere when you're safe um but i suppose you could also rig it so that you end up like shooting forward an extra inch or two and then now you're in engagement range so well, now like, you're blocking the way now now that guy can't get through the door to blast your soul cultists or whatever that are standing there you can also use barricades to set this up. Like a barricade, it's like if you have those thin corridors on ITD, you have like a barricade put diagonally. You then have one cultist behind your mutant, and then you mutate over the barricade, and you go like two inches forward. You feel like of- this would be a good spot where they could like eat a nerf, where instead of like launching out, that you just like push everything out a little bit. Or do you think that would still cost? Well, well, that just seems like it would cause so many nightmares for like placing <laughs> your models. Especially if there's barricades and your opponent's models involved, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And then it's going to cause arguments. I feel like this is the cleanest solution, and I, I don't think it's really that much of a strength. So much like it comes up one in ten games, maybe. I don't think I don't think removing this would change anything. I just wouldn't do it at that point, right? Like, um, I, I don't think it changed the outcome of any of my games significantly either. But mutating into engagement probably did did help in a lot of games. That it, one it helped. Like, in that, it, helped like, it helped in that one game. Yeah, it helped in that one game against Commanders. I think it was Adrian. I think it was Adrian. Yeah, it's like um, a full half an inch on one side, right? That your opponent, you know, you weren't in engagement range. You go to the next turn. Now you're in engagement range, and all the yeah. other, all the other tricks are now out the window. That's it. Yeah, that that could maybe go, but I don't think. Yeah, I don't think it would change much. Like it happened once in thirteen games. So, and you mentioned uh, that you heard that you were doing a lot of things that other cults weren't. Do you want to spread some of the secrets out to potential cultists out there into the? I think ether? the one thing that I heard that um, was the main thing that, that I was like. And I also noticed this watching was people the way people were using the icon arc. 
Mm-hmm. Um, like they would like uh, it just seems like they think he's a flamethrower now that he doesn't have his aura as always. Whereas I just think he should not activate till the end of turn two. He should move up, activate his silly aura, and just stand there like a dipshit and just not do anything. <laughs> like, and you're you're it. doing the damage reduction just to make another safe spot for you to move into. Well, it just means your torment. Like you put both your torments that you make on turn two within four of him, and that's it. Because your opponent now either can deal with the torments very poorly, or not deal with them. In which case, you get whatever charge you set up for, like whatever charge you want. Right, like a rosary to damage reduction torment. Like the list of things that reliably kill that in one attack is like two, maybe I don't know. Like vanishingly like, small. It's like five hits on an iron rifle and a prayer. Yeah, exactly. It's like it's like it's like pathfinding. Well, what's the iron rifle's damage? Uh, five six. So you could theoretically put it's down. You know, like, yeah. You know, if you I'm in combat, get, like, already said. you get like 25 damage down. You know, you could just a scratch and then it's 13 wounds. You're probably not going to save I much. said one in cover. Like, you know, well, it's five, six becomes four, five. Remember? That's true. That's true. But it's AP so one. Like, so you only got two dice. So it's it's not, I wouldn't say it's likely, but it, it's yeah, exactly. to manage it. You engineered the best gun for killing this and it still doesn't yeah. feel good, right? Like, how's that? You know what I mean? I think the Rocket Boy is the other one that, you know, maybe can do it because you're getting He's relentless. Three, four, buddy. He's three, four. He's three four plus splash one, so he's like three five, right? Yeah, okay. Like give him two crits and then two yeah. hits. Okay. So I rosary the five. And now I take five, eight, eleven, twelve, thirteen damage. So I pass yeah. one field no pain, I'm alive. Yeah. It, it's like a vanishingly small cluster of things that could even hope to manage that. So you're saying exactly, that you're yeah. using that to really make sure that on turn two, even if your opponent goes first, you're still getting one thing flying into your opponent's line that they really don't want there. And the other one will probably like, let's say like they go for it and they like get him down to two wounds. Okay. I'm going to keep him here. You have to kill him still. So you have to commit another shooting attack to this torment now, which is a problem that you have to deal with. And even then you might not kill him. And then if you don't kill him, he's going to charge and do like nine damage to someone, even if he dies. Cause you'll like D3 models in the charge, hit you for five. You might just die. Like if you're a seven wound guy, you might kill a seven wound guy while he's on two wounds, right? Like it's not even that unlikely. So. Yeah, you just make your torments like almost unkillable using him like that, and that's uh, a that's a really powerful play. So uh, yeah, the other cultists were not doing that. You played against Hava. Did he start like adopting some of your strategies over the games, or did he play his own game plan the whole way through? Because I'm sure you he, must have seen some play differences between the two of you. Yeah, um, there were a few things that yeah, like he was using his flamer far more aggressively than I was. That was like the main thing I noticed. Like. He would be going with him activation two, activation three of turn two most of the time. Whereas I wouldn't be going to like 10, 11, 12. Um, that was like the main thing I noticed. And, and I was talking to, um, so bad. What's the Phobos family? Phobos dad and his, oh, his sons? Uh, uh, Mark Garrett, uh, Liam Garrett. Yeah, yeah. So I talked to the Garrett sons and, and, and I talked to them and, and they were saying like how in their scene, like most Coltis players are just using him like a flamethrower. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, they, it's it's there on the tin, but I've always thought that the torments were the most important thing, especially post nerf, pre nerf. Yeah, go ahead, he could do whatever he wants, and he's just disgusting. Pre nerf, he has the rosary and he's walking up and he's just oh, yeah. killing everyone, right? Like pre-nerf, he's just like an unkillable god of war, right? He's like yeah. the best operative in the team by far. He's, he's shooting his three in the game, game almost. You know, he's yeah, got, like, like he's floating like... auras that just like do everything. Also controls his three APL and has a. Six attacks on twos, three, four, flamer. Like, what are you supposed to do against this stupid thing? I don't know. Hope, pray. Yeah. 
Yeah. He gets charged and he's like, I'm putting up my fists on three from a Marine. And he just yeah, beats no, famously, one of the guys from my scene at uh, Atlantic City Open, he went up to Shane's icon arc and he's like, maybe if I fire blast this and I hit like three other guys, it'll be good, right? And, and Shane distinctly was like, I don't think this is a good idea. I mean, he's like, yeah, but I could kill it. So he did it and like killed his own legionary psyker and did like maybe like six <laughs> damage across four, like two or three models. And we're like, yeah, I mean, I don't really know what you expected. Uh, well, that's because the uh, fire blast when it hits you, it does extra damage. It does extra damage. Oh, it's such a disaster! That's actually yeah. so awful. And the fire was two three because this was pre nap, right? So yeah, it's, it's oh, just it's like so bad. A, a disaster all the way around. And was like, okay, and now the iconarch is going to go light something else on fire, and we'll be done with that. Yeah, pre nap iconarch was was insane. So I think that was the main one. I also think I played my mind which a lot more aggressively than Harvard did. Okay, uh, like In my mind just. Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit that the Mind Witch is one of these pieces that you think is like make or break for the team, right? Because it has all these cool abilities. You know, for listeners who don't remember, you have Heinous Deluge, which is minus one APL, very similar to the Transpectral Operative. You have to be unengaged, so you have to be somewhat at risk. No, no, no. You don't, you don't have to be engaged for that one. You only have to be engaged for the, the Mind Blast to kill someone. Okay, yeah. Malefic Vortex is where you're dropping a token, and then everyone takes one mortal wound. And then the next turn, they take at the end of the game... Or end of the turn, they take another mortal yep. wound. And Infernal Gaze, which is like you're, you know, you're within six inches and you're just like blasting someone into Kingdom Well, it gets Rome. stronger the closer you get. So within six, it does three mortal wounds. Within four, it does three plus D3. And within two, it does five plus D3. Yeah. So, so how do, how, yeah, tell us, yeah. talk to us a little about this. Because I know a lot of people focus on Malefic Vortex Chip and Heinous <laughs> Deluge Cheese, but it sounds like you're using them maybe in a little different way. So, yeah. So yeah, that's that's Harvard mainly used it to to chip and then minus one APL my torments. Whereas usually that's what I would do on turn on, on turn one, I'd be looking to deploy it engaged so that if anything goes aggressive, I can just mind blast it. And then if not, then I'll go back to dropping the deluge and the minus one APL. Sorry, the the the, the vortex and the minus one APL. And in a lot of my in like our last game, my mind witch was responsible for like two, three just kills just by mind blasting people. And I'd say on average he was doing like ten to fifteen mortals a game. Damn. Uh, yeah, especially like he's really huge crazy. against commandos. Like against commandos, the mind witch is just like a monster. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about that. Like, why do you think the mind witch was so good in the commando matchup? Because I obviously in the mirror matchup against Chaos Cults, this is one of your only long range operatives. So it makes sense that if you're keeping him on engage, you actually get more opportunities to drop two sets of mortal wounds across the board. Whereas against commandos, I don't think it's quite as obvious. Yeah, against commandos, like the thing for me is like when you're looking at what's annoying about them, it's like the high wound count and the just a scratch and all that stuff. And like your normal cultists really don't have any chance. Your mutants still kind of suck. It's only the torments that can do stuff and maybe the blessed blades. And then when you drop like the like the big mind blast and someone, you dropped into like four wounds, right? Like now a blessed blade can like auto hit kill this guy. And so if, if they ever use just scratch, now this guy is just like a free kill. And because they have to charge for all of their operatives, your mind which can be fairly safe because you can always also uh, faithful floor if they try to shoot him. And he just walks up to within two, blasts out like six to eight mortals. And then like now this orc who is normally really, really annoying for you to deal with all your like little regular guys can just beat him to death, right? Like you just retain a hit automatically, hit him for two, retain a hit automatically, hit him for two. Now he's dead, and you've got mutants and stuff. Like that's that's what he's doing in that matchup. Um, that, that's so strong. And I think importantly, Infernal Gaze cannot be just a scratch because this is just mortals that are not. It's just not coming from a, a single thing. An ability, yeah. Well, like, yeah, exactly. It's just you just take the mortal. It's not a strike. It's not a dice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And also, again, like if there's a commando on like six wounds or something, right? You just walk up to him and just go, guaranteed dead, right? Um, on ITD, especially, like on, on both, deploying on ITD, you can deploy him engaged in front of a door. And if the commander player is like sitting on an objective behind like the door, you can like dash him with your leader, walk up to within two, and just like eight mortal wounds this guy, like at the start of the game. And like now he can't even reliably charge and kill you because like he's rolling on fours, which is bad, right? And so like this commander is like basically dead now. So if you, you can either take a terrible activation where he charges you and you retain your auto hit, and if he rolls like normal, you just parry him and you live, or he doesn't deal with it, and then mine was just auto kills this guy and takes no damage. Um yeah, those yeah are, I think they yeah. all sound really good. I think, you know, definitely an expansion on what I actually would use the Mind Witch for. Because he looks like such a frail model visually. I've always used him as kind of like the chip and the minus APL. Because minus APL is very powerful. Oh, it is. Yes. While people are like trying to do stuff like multi-charge a torment on an objective. You're like, all right, minus one APL on that guy. Move someone else over. Now you've got four APL that your opponent wasn't expecting. Yeah, for sure. No, that that is a good way to use it. I just think people need to be more willing to just like move six forward do tons of mortal wounds right like you're just it's such a huge amount of damage that's guaranteed like mm. even if you're all badly if you're within four it's four mortal wounds that's more than half of the health of most operatives in the game mm. um you get a lot of leverage out of it against galapox i think you mentioned saying it but you know i galapox assume was way more focused on minus one apl galapox is always minus one apl because like i can't kill the big guys minus one apling is basically the closest i can get to killing them um, so, so against them, it was the minus one APL, yeah. Um, mortal Wound, I, I should have used the Mortal Wound to kill all the grubs. I didn't think about it. I also just didn't deploy him quite as well as I could have. But, mm-hmm. yeah, if you, you I'd, I'd use the minus one of the Mortal Wounds bubble to, like, kill the grubs and stuff. Um, that, was, that was definitely something I thought about after the game that I could have done better. Um, and but it was, still, uh, it was still instrumental. You know, just talking about the other fun ability of curse gifts. Are there a curse gifts that you're basically almost always using, or do you always dynamically choose in the middle of a game? Um, generally, like winged happens because people deploy barricades in your way and they force it. Mm-hmm. Um, so winged kind of happens always. Sometimes it's fleet if they don't do that. Um, and then I almost always go D three mortals in the charge. Okay, like as my, as my second mutation. I just think like the problem is like. Reap is way too situational, and if it does come up, you can just spend a CP to get it. Mm-hmm. Brutal is, like, fine, but, like, I have so many dice, it's not that relevant, and I'm going to proc rending. If I don't proc rending, I've rolled horribly, right? Or I've rolled... I just need to roll three hits. Like, I need to, like, get two crits and a hit, or roll three. Like, there's so many... Brutal is so rarely relevant, and ignoring the weapon skill penalty is also not very relevant, because when you're five dice friendless, even on fives... Right, you're still killing people most of the time. Like your odds of killing someone are still really high, even on fives. I think the uh, only the mm-hmm. key standouts, I think, and the overall matchup spread for where Sinud becomes powerful would be Hunter Clade and Arbidus, yes. right? Because both of them stop rerolls of everything, and a torment hitting on fives without rerolls is way less threatening to everyone. Yeah, you could also just go ignore injury at that point um, against Hunter Clade. For the whole mm-hmm. team. In fact, I probably would just for the blessed blades. But um, it, it, that's an interesting one. Definitely, definitely, no rerolls in that situation can be very, very scary, right? Because then you're really just hoping oh, yeah. that your first dice roll is good. Because then I still, I still go D three mortal wounds. Then though, because because if you're fighting a ten wound guy, right, the D three mortals have a really big chance to make him a two hit with normals. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so yeah. I still always just go that, right? Like you auto hit, and I just roll two hits on four dice, and you're guaranteed dead if I rolled not terribly. And then if you kill me, I'll blow up and kill you guaranteed with my walls or something. Um, and then yeah, like I, I think did these three models in the charge is like the the auto take one for me at least. Um, yeah, I don't think I've out of all the people that we've talked about cults, I feel like Horned is one of the ones that hasn't come up all that often. So I think people are just missing how useful it is. Yeah, it just makes the breakpoints way safer, right? If you're trying exactly, to yeah. model, you can get lucky, and then it you don't have to take any damage ever. And if you're yeah, playing exactly. a moon model, those breakpoints are way easier to get now. It's a three up one shot. Yeah, exactly. Um, also, like it synergizes with like reap as well. Like if you have someone like who's taking some damage, like I, I, it would have come up really big in in my game with Hava um, in the game I lost. If I'd won priority, I could charge his blessed blade on five wounds, d three mortals him down to four or less. And then if I he had two guys next to him, so if I procked Reap, I hit, needed to get two Reaps off and he would just die. So, like, it, it just has a whole bunch of other synergies. And it just, like, it's come up the most often. It's also big into, like, commandos, right? Mm-hmm. If you do two mortals and down to eight, now they die in two normals. So you don't need to roll a crit anymore. Um, into Marines is also big. To use a scratch way earlier than they would want in that fight. Because yeah, yeah. it was going to be three hits, then, you know, they can just a scratch in the middle. Or you can run out of hits, right? Which is... Definitely possible. Five attacks on four is relentless. Is not a guarantee of four hits. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just like stuff like that. Um, Marines is also big against like if you do two mortals to a twelve mid marine, now you kill them in two crits. If you do three mortals, you now kill them in a crit and a hit. Right? Like it just it just almost always even if you roll badly on it makes a difference. And even if it hasn't killed them. Like, it, oh, no, I only rolled a one, and now he's on one wound. Well, now you now you can never fail to blow them up when you die. I know even if you roll a one, all you need is a one. So you take one model and they die, right? Um, and I'm actually against Harvard, it was I always just hit mutants with it because it just meant that it was way less likely he'd feel no pain his way to safety. Um, so yeah, I think just uh, like that. You know, yeah, there's so many crazy tricks this team can pull off. I think the last one I wanted to cover before we, you know, head out is the Octarius Vantage thing that I think you described a little bit earlier. Or not not earlier in this podcast, but when we were talking on Sunday, how you were able to get into Hava's backline with a torment because you know maybe it's not super obvious, like the wing charge over the uh, Octarius terrain. Oh yeah, yeah, where I climbed up the top and then I didn't even have wing. I had fleet. <laughs> so there's like a there's like a lot of body blocking shenanigans when you're playing uh, like me- melee versus melee mirrors, right? Yeah. So yeah. obviously, when it comes to someone like Gellerpox, you just ignore the models, and it doesn't matter if you're body blocking. But you guys don't have access to that, so how did you get around that? Well, I, I, I guess Harvey didn't come up as much. I had that charge where I charged the Iconarch on top of the building and killed him, and then dropped down the next turn. It was against um, it was against Kikums that I pulled the charge. Where basically, if you have Winged Octarius, you climb four, which becomes two. You then move horizontally four across, and then you drop down two, and then you can charge over the entire ruin. Like you can go even if they block the door, you go up, across, down. Um, and, and that's within your movement range, especially if there's a hatch there as well. Like, there's a lot of angles where you can pull, like, char- even if the door's blocked, you can charge the person blocking the door. Um, it's like it's like climbing rope commanders are also really strong in there, and some people should be using more. You can just charge over through the hatch, and, like, they can't do anything to stop you. Doors, like, the door blocking becomes relevant, basically, that way. Yeah, um, I think on Pathfinders, I get a little yeah. bit of leverage out in a similar fashion, where you put, like, climbing ropes and a bunch of other stuff on your big guns, and after you've marker lighting your opponent's hiding behind a door, now you, like... Go over the door, go on top of the building, and shoot through the grates and blow someone up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, like, 
you can kind of, you can kind of like break the safety that blocking the door gives if you have wing basically and fleet as well. Fleet helps. That extra that one extra inch just gets you that much further. Um, but yeah, I think that's a, a big one. Is like those Octarius ruins are not as safe as people think against cults. Yeah, I mean, it turned out that nothing was safe against cults this weekend. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, let, let's be let's be let's be honest here. At a seventy-eight percent win rate, there was basically like not much that anyone really had as far as managing cults on open or on in the dark, right? Yeah, like I, like I think I talked to. I think commandos should be doing better. Mm-hmm. I just think it's about adapting to play differently than they're currently doing. I, I think yeah. the problem is like the triple sneak. It is so oppressive. You can kind of like make mistakes with it and still just win because your opponent has to work so much harder than you to do anything. And so I think like people are missing like stuff like sneaky getting rocket boy. Cause like, I've never seen anyone else do that. And I think I've, it's like, I've definitely, seen, I've definitely seen Adrian do it for his part, but I think his whole game plan was like the turn one alpha strike has got to be, has got to hit. And I think Hava for his part, from what I saw, was able to restrict Adrian by taking double barricades, getting initiative and then like covert guising into the, into yeah, the yeah, yeah. box. So that it was just like, Oh, it just doesn't matter. So yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's way better to not worry about alphaing and to just like deny space until the end of the turn. Like, just don't activate till everything's done, and then I can't yeah. safely put my mutant in the middle of the table because your rocket still hasn't activated, and your rocket will kill my mutant. It'll it'll absolutely delete a normal mutant unless something crazy happens. If he has a rosary, he's got like a decent chance of living if he's in like decent spot. But yeah, it's not a good. It's not a role I want you to get to make. Basically. <laughs> Yeah. Alrighty, alrighty. So, any uh, final call-outs before we head out for the day? For you know, your scene, Australia, your shop, anything coming up, tournaments, <laughs> or you just gonna you just gonna coast for a little bit? You know, you're the I'm world championship of Warhammer. I'm painting my casket and we're playing a narrative league. Okay, that's what's happening. <laughs> that's what's happening. Sounds I'm good. chilling. That's like a good way to chill out. Um, it, exactly. any any shops you want to shout out you know the place where you and your friends practice i know liam and chris and you it sounds like you guys play in the same shops or run in the same circle uh liam liam and i definitely usually go down a decked out on tuesdays uh, that's okay. what we're yeah. usually playing and then chris runs stuff also near where i live at uh castle hill castle hill rsl uh i used to go there as well but doing two days a week is just too much for me. i don't have the time like i can't commit that much time yeah. so I go there like maybe once a month when I can. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, for our listeners, we still got our sponsorship over at uh, Luster's Workshop, where we've got the Just Another Kill Team podcast gauge, and we've got our Patreon and Discord and all that other stuff. So, and we also, you know, later in January, I'll be running the UTC finals, which should have a golden ticket. Details are not totally finalized yet, but we're still working on it. And, you know, obviously, Alexa, thank you for coming on and giving us a little interview. It was uh, fun meeting you at the World Championship, and congrats again. Thank you. It was my pleasure.